And then look, to, look at Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. I'm encouraged to be able to tell you that God will not forget your work and your labor of love if you'll do it. The illustration that I want to close with is the illustration of Lazarus and the rich man. After he had died, he had lived all of his life and never been an influence to his family, and then when it was too late, he knew he couldn't go back, but he said, send Lazarus back that he might warn my five brothers lest they come to this place of torment. I'm sure he would have gladly gone back and warned them. But then God had to speak to him and said, that's not possible. There's a great gulf fix, so he can't come to you, you can't come to him, and he can't go back. Even if someone raised from the dead, they wouldn't. Oh, yes, if somebody raised from the dead, if Lazarus raised from the dead now, they would all believe. And we know that's not true because Jesus raised from the dead and a lot of people don't believe. But he got concerned too late. And the encouragement to us is that while we're still in this life, we can influence people for God. Now, the rich man influenced his family the wrong way, and it was too late. How's our life influencing others? If you and I were to die tonight, could we expect a crown of rejoicing? Could we say, look at here, I didn't know, I witnessed that person. Hallelujah, they're around the throne. Now, I want to tell you something. You talk about, you know, I've heard people talk about investing in a savings account. And I've heard about people getting compounded interest. You don't know what compounded interest is like in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the work of the gospel. You win someone to Jesus Christ. Let, let's just, let me do something local here. This family influenced this family to come to church. Now this family's growing in the Lord, never getting to reach out. One son's going into the ministry. Reached over here. Reached over here. Just one person after another contact, and now what's going to happen? They're going to go out, and all of a sudden they're going to start multiplying, and they're going to start multiplying, and they're going to start multiplying, and you're going to be staggered in that day when you stand before the Lord. You know, the man who led me to the Lord didn't, doesn't know a thing about what's happened after the night I walked out of that church. Has no idea what happened in my life since then. And I have had the privilege of contacting, literally affecting thousands of young people all over the United States who today are around the world. I don't know what they're doing out there, but they're all over the world. And I'm going to be staggered when I stand before the throne that day and that day before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't believe this. I'm going to have a crown of rejoicing because of all the people God privileged me already to have. But you know, you might win a Billy Graham. You might win a Billy Graham to Christ. You may not win very many, but all of a sudden you're going to say, oh my goodness, how did I influence all those people? Well, you influenced this one. Remember the story of Billy Graham, of the man who taught Billy Graham, the man who had a Sunday school class and only two students and he got discouraged because he thought, what's this, two students? Good night. But he was faithful every week. He said, God, I'll do it as unto you. Two, two little boys, two little boys. And one of those little boys turned out to be Billy Graham. He went back to him one day and said, you'll never know the impact that you had in my life sitting in that little classroom, constantly pouring the Word of God into my life. Now, that man is going to receive part of Billy's reward because he influenced Billy Graham for Jesus Christ. Paul says, you want a crown of rejoicing? The only way to do that is be faithful. Just keep sowing the seed, sowing the seed, sowing the seed, witnessing to others about Jesus Christ, letting them know. I mean, compounded interest is nothing compared to what we're going to see in heaven. 
I want to encourage you young people, be a witness for Jesus Christ right where you are. Win other boys and girls to Jesus Christ. And then stay with them, help them, encourage them along. I'm so glad that we have one young person that's been working with Child Evangelism Fellowship. Has no idea what an impact she's going to make on those little lives. I was five the first time I made a decision for Jesus Christ. Didn't know what happened afterwards. I mean, I got away from it, forgot it completely, but God brought me back when I was just about 17. And that's when I, re I, that's when I really got saved, I think. I re made a total commitment in my life to Christ. But don't ever discount winning children to Jesus Christ and asking the Lord to keep them and to protect them for His glory in the days ahead. I don't know about you, but I want a crown of rejoicing. And it's up to us. We've got to want it. And we've got to be willing to say, Lord, I've only got one task in this world, and that's to be winning souls to Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary. What did David Brown say? I couldn't care less where I had to sleep. I couldn't care less whether I had any to eat. But I am really concerned about whether I win souls to Christ. I was working at my home last night, and while I was working, my hands, I turned on the television to see what was on. There was a, a very humorous program, and, and it was an enjoyable one for a change. Um, uh, it was a, a man who was having a, a surprise birthday party. And uh, he hated surprise birthday parties. He didn't want a birthday party, but uh, his wife sneaked one in anyway. And then the scenario went on about how people think when they try to be nice to you. One of the men came and said, uh, uh, he, he, the, the fellow whose birthday it was said, my father lived to be 86 and he never had a party and he was all right. And the, fellow, the other fellow spoke to him and said, well, he said, do you realize that this is a very special one then? He's wise especially. He says, Matt, you're 43 and your father was 86. You're halfway there. From here on, you're, you're on the 50-yard line. He's from here on is to get to the touchdown. He says, 50 more yards. He thought, that's a happy thought. I'm going downhill from here on. And then this friend gave him a clock. And the clock was set for that time. And for 43 years, it would mark off every year that passed down to when he was supposed to die. And he thought, what a happy gift. And, you know, sometimes I think about that when I'm preaching on this subject of uh, when the Christian's books are audited. And yet I believe it's very, very important for us to understand that there's not a person sitting here this morning, but one of these days we're going to be audited. And uh, when we are, the Scriptures are very clear as to what's going to take place. Here in Hebrews 9, 27, our text all the way through has been, as, and as it is appointed unto men, appointed, unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We brought out the fact that there are two judgments. There is the judgment for the believer and the judgment for the unbeliever. And we've been talking about the judgment for the believer. Now let me not fail to tell you that the Word of God also says very clearly that there's going to be a judgment for the unbeliever. That once death comes, there is no changing of our status before God. You're either saints or ain'ts. You're either righteous or unrighteous. You're either saved or lost. You're either redeemed or without Christ and without hope. That isn't what the preacher says. It's what the Word of God says, and the Word of God is settled forever in the heavens. We've talked about the fact that, the, the, with, as far as the believers are concerned, that there's coming a day when every idle word, every idle deed shall be answered for. If it has not been judged by us and put under the blood by us, we'll answer for it before the Lord. And he said that the things that... Uh, for 
he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done, and for there is no respect of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. Be not deceived, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now we say these things in order to make you realize that it's very important every day that we consider the path that we're walking on. Remember again, God's word in the Old Testament, over and over again, God's method of working, and I've always said this is the way you ought to do it with your children also, God always gave a choice. Now you have a choice. There's two paths. Walk this path, and all these blessings will be yours. Walk this path, and all these curses will be yours. You choose which path you want to walk down, so that when you get down that path, if things do not turn out the way you want them to, you can't say, I didn't tell you so. And some people say, well, I don't know what the Word of God says. And God says, that's no excuse. It's an open book test. Open it and read it, and it'll tell you exactly what's coming in the days ahead. It says that there's going to be a judgment for the unbeliever. There's going to be a judgment for the believer. And when we stand before God, it will be not God's fault because we will have chosen the path that we wanted to take. You understand what I mean? No one's bending my arm behind my back and putting a hammer lock on me and telling me I have to walk down a path I am choosing to walk down the path. That's why I said time and time again, where are you spiritually today? Let me tell you where you are spiritually today. Exactly where you want to be. You are today exactly what you want to be. You see, that's why we say we can always do what we really want to do, can't we? I've had people say, well, if it's a priority in your life, you can do it. And that's true. When we set a priority in our life, we usually say, that's what I'm going to get done if nothing else gets done. Now, sometimes we procrastinate on priorities, but sooner or later we have to get that priority taken care of. Well, Paul's saying here that we must realize that there is going to be a judgment coming. We need to prepare for it, and uh, it will happen. Well, I said we were judged as sinners in the past. Uh, we're being judged as sons right now. We're going to be judged in the future as servants. And whatever has not been done in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory is going to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. Now, you know there are a lot of people who might think they've sent a, lot of, a bunch of stuff to heaven, but when it gets there, if it's going to be burned up, it's not going to be of any value to it. That's why we must not only be concerned about what we do, but the motive for which we do it. Do I have to say that again? It's not what we do. There are some people that are so busy serving, quote, serving God, and when they get to heaven, they're going to have an empty bin because either that's all going to be burned up because it was not done in accordance with God's Word. Jesus said in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many wonderful works. And then shall I profess unto them, Depart from me, you that work lawlessness, for I never knew you. What a tragic thing. For someone to think they're a Christian, think they're doing God's will, and find out afterwards that they aren't. And they weren't doing God's will. Well, if we, what is not burned up in wood, hay, and stubble is going to be turned into precious gems, the Word of God says. And, and then there are rewards that God's going to give to believers. Now, very quickly, we said, first of all, there's going to be the incorruptible come, uh, incorruptible crown, which will be given to those who die to themselves and live unto the Lord completely and run the race. Like Paul said, I have, run a, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have, fought, I have run a good race, and I, there's laid up for me now a crown of righteousness, or an incorruptible crown, which the Lord has given to me. Now, that's going to be given to everyone who dies to themselves and lives for Christ. It's going to be an incorruptible, a crown that will never pass away, in contrast to the crowns that they were used to winning in Paul's day, a little thing with little leaves on it that would dry up in about two days. The second one was a crown of life, and that's for those who will endure temptation while they're here in this world, those who uh, uh, 
not weary in well-doing and will endure to the end. He said, if you'll endure to the end and not grow weary in well-doing, you'll receive a crown of life. The third one was the crown of glory, and that's for faithful ministers. And we elucidated 18 different points that the Word of God sets down as requirements for pastors. And as you know, I have made that into a three-tape series, now making it available through web ministries too. But very, how many of you have ever heard in the past a message on what are the biblical requirements for one who is in the pastorate? You know, most pastors won't do that any more than the, I mean, to have doctors police themselves is like having a fox guard the hen house. And to have a pastor get up and start giving you the different requirements in God's word concerning the pastor is difficult to find today. But it's very important, and if they do not fulfill those, they're going to be coming up short when it comes to receiving a crown of glory. Then the fourth one is a crown of righteousness, and that's for those who love his appearing. Not just know he's coming, but literally look forward to the coming of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I, there's times when I get so frustrated with this present life. I My, my spirit's crying out, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, I... I know sometimes it seems like it's, I'm looking for a fire escape, but I get so weary after 40-some years of seeing how everything is just going downhill in this world as far as, uh, well, I shouldn't say downhill, it's going exactly as God has predicted it's going to go. These things have to happen before Jesus comes, and he says, don't look down, look up, because your redemption draws nigh when you see all these things happening, and you just cry out, Lord Jesus, I'll stand here, but whenever you're ready, you come on, I'm looking for you to come. If you're that way, he says, you'll receive a crown of righteousness. And then the last one was a crown of rejoicing for those who are soul winners, those who win others to Christ, those who are witnesses, those who testify and bring others into the kingdom of God. Daniel says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that win many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now that's the, the uh, crowns that are going to be given at the, the bema or the judgment seat of Christ. Now let's go on and let you know what is happening around this right after this takes place. And that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the progression to now has been the bema or the place where uh, the uh, judgment seat of Christ where we'll not only we'll be judged for our salvation, but be judged for our works and uh, given to those who are overcomers. Now, during this same period, while the church has been ca caught away and we're in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ, here on earth will be seven years of unprecedented tribulation and trials that uh, the world, like, like the world's never had before. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. We're going to be there being, having our uh, lives judged there and receiving our rewards in heaven while all this is taking place here on earth. And again, I say it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the last final seven years that was predicted by Daniel concerning the nation of Israel. The last seven years that God's going to be dealing with Israel as a nation, and during that seven-year period, Israel will become saved in one day when they see him whom they have pierced. Now, back in heaven, when the judgment seat of Christ is over, we received our reward. The scripture says that the marriage is going to take place. And it's the relationship of Christ uh, to the church right now. In the New Testament, he speaks of the relationship of Christ to the church as being one of the bride to the bridegroom. You and I are engaged to Jesus Christ. Look for, at a few verses with me. John, the third chapter. John, chapter 3. If you do not have Bibles, there's Bibles over there on that table. John 3, verse 29. This is John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus Christ. John 3, 29. 
They said, "Are you the one that we're look, that we're looking for?" And he said, "No, I'm not the one. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm just I must decrease, and he must increase, and I must decrease." Uh, there, at verse 30. But in verse 29, he said, "He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease." Back in that day, you would have the bridegroom and the and his friend to come to get the bride. And John the Baptist said, I'm the bridegroom's friend. I have come, and it's such a joy to hear his voice now. Romans 7, 4. Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. Now, it's very important that you understand what I'm saying right now for something I'm going to say in a few minutes. We have to understand that we are engaged to Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. Romans 7, 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. He said, we're going to be married to Jesus Christ. He was talking there before that about the, the law of the marriage. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Second Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you or engaged you, betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. I wrote it down in my notes. I am anxious for you with deep concern of God himself, with the deep concern of God himself, anxious that your love should be for Christ alone, just as a pure maiden saves her love for, her, for one man only, for the one who will be her husband. He's, Paul says, I'm trying to save you as the church as you would save, a woman would save herself for her one man, her husband-to-be. We are espoused to Jesus Christ. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, chapter 5. Beginning with verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Paul makes the comparison of husband and wife here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man hath ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. We are going to be eventually married to Jesus Christ. He is comparing here the marriage to the saint's eventual relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, right now, the relationship of you and me to Jesus Christ is the same as the one that was between Mary and Joseph in Matthew, the first chapter. Now, the marriage customs back in that day, uh, there were three steps involved back in the days of Christ. And the Jews understood what Jesus was saying back then when he talked about marriage and, the, and when Paul spoke about the marriage. They understood it completely. We have a different setup in our social strata here, but uh, they understood exactly what he was saying. 
First of all, there was the marriage contract, and normally speaking, uh, you young people will love this, uh, you had nothing to do with it. Mom and Dad set it up. Two fathers get together and say, you know, I'd like to have old your son Joseph marry my daughter Mary, you know. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. My wife and I were talking about that the other night. Well, let's just make an agreement here. Some of you say, oh, yuck. Well, don't knock it. Their, their survival rate was a lot higher than ours. The moms and the dads contracted for the wedding, and then it became legally binding, and if they ever wanted to break it, there had to be, uh, understand this, there had to be a legal divorce for them. They had to go and legally get divorced from that contract that the mothers and fathers of the children signed. Now, by the way, may I just insert this again? I want you to get this down pat. There are some people today that will go around teaching you that Israel, the church, is Israel. Please get this. You know, whenever somebody teaches on premillennial, postmillennial, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, you're going to get into some that are going to tell you that the church is Israel. Absolutely impossible. Now, let me explain why. If you go to the Old Testament, God the Father is married to Israel. Am I right? That's his wife. God is married to Israel. That's why he has a covenant with Israel. He cannot forsake Israel. He will never forsake Israel. It's going to be an eternal covenant with Israel. Well, if we're Israel, if the church is Israel, why do we have to get married to Jesus Christ again? If, we, if we're Israel, we're already married to God the Father. That's why the church is different. It's separate from Israel. Israel is not the church. The church is not Israel. I want you to understand that. God the Father is already married to Israel. And in that last seven years when Israel becomes a nation again and becomes uh, uh, believers again and gets saved, they're going to be married to God the Father. But we, as the church today, are engaged to Jesus Christ. We'll not be married till we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right? The betrothal period usually took anywhere from one to two years. After the, the contract was signed, when the children got old enough to marry, usually the young man would go to the young girl and then see if she would agree to obey her parents in getting married. And uh, she, if she said yes, he would give her what was called some coins or nuptial coins. And then he would have a little glass of wine sitting there, and she would drink that nuptial wine as a fulfilling, of, I mean, the completion of that little contract that they have, yes, I will marry you. Well, if you want to see how important that was, look at Luke, the 15th chapter. Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. I don't know if your Bible's like mine. Every time I come to the chapter I want, those pages always stick together. The word... <laughs> very chapter I'm looking for, uh, Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. This was a, an illustration that used to really bug me as a new Christian. Either that woman having ten pieces of silver, excuse, either, let's, uh, let's go to verse um, 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she loses one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there shall be a joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And I thought, give me a break. Now here she loses a half dollar. She sweeps the whole house until she finds it. And then she calls all her friends in and has a party. 
for a half a bucket. It cost her probably $10 to have the party. What's going on here? Well, these weren't just normal coins. She didn't just lose the coin. She lost her nuptial coin. Very important. It'd be like you losing your diamond ring. Some of you that are engaged are married. If you lost your ring, I mean, it's not just a ring. It's a ring. It's a real ring. A ring that's important. This ring is very important to me. If I lost a ring out of a Cracker Jack box, I wouldn't worry about it. But well, I don't want to lose this ring, I guarantee you. And that was a nuptial coin back then. See, they would come and present the nuptial coins to Now, then, the next step was, if she agreed to marry him, then she would, he would go back to his home, and his father would oversee him preparing a dwelling place for him and his wife. Now, he could not come back and get his bride until he had completed the home. Now, what did Jesus say? Only the Father knows when I can come back. When I get the... I, 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 uh, you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, my bride, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And they say, when are you going to do that? He says, only the Father knows the hour and the day. Well, he knows when I'm going to get done. When he says it's time, then I'll come back. See, the Jews understood exactly what he was talking about. He says, you're my bride, and I'm the bride. I'm going to go back now, and when the Father says I'm ready and everything's ready, then I can come back. And he takes his bride back to the prepared home for him and her, and uh, the bride gives him a dowry, and uh, the groom gives her... Now, you see, that's, when I realized that, I, what have we got to give to the Lord except our crowns? That which we earned while we're here on earth? I mean, everything else belongs to him. Whatever we earn on earth, that's what we'll be able to give to our bridegroom when we stand before him. And then there's the wedding feast. And something I had not understood before that was of real interest to me, when the guests were invited, remember Jesus giving the illustration about the, uh, uh, the ten foolish virgins that were supposed to come to the wedding and five didn't have enough oil in their lamps, and when they came later knocked at the door, they couldn't get in? Well, there are going to be many guests at this wedding, but uh, when the bridegroom and the bride would go into the, the bridegroom's chamber for the uh, consummation, physical consummation of the wedding, uh, I, I just recently read that the bride was to remain in the bridegroom's chamber for seven days. The bride, the groom himself would go out and intermingle with the, the guests at the wedding while the wedding party were celebrating out there. He would go out and celebrate with them, but the bride stayed in the bridegroom's chamber for a period of seven days before him coming out and then was presented to the friends as his bride. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Seven days, seven years during the tribulation period that the bride's going to be in heaven and then is going to be presented to the, to, the, uh, to the world and to Israel. And now we apply this truth. Your, your betrothal to Jesus Christ took place the day you were saved. You were wooed by the Holy Spirit. You received him as your Lord and your master and your bridegroom. And then the Holy Spirit comes and teaches you how to walk and gets you prepared while he's preparing for you and uh, while you're maturing. And then suddenly, in an hour that you think not, see, that's why the bride was always waiting to hear the bride. She didn't know when the bridegroom was going to come. But she had to be ready at any time in case he came. And so, Scripture says you and I are to be ready to be taken home to the, to the home of the, the bridegroom's chamber. That's in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the engagement that you and I experienced with Jesus Christ was the day we received him as our Lord and Savior. And uh, the invitation 
And the free gift of love, once we receive it, is legal and binding. He'll not let anyone pluck us out of his hand. Now, if you and I want to crawl out of his hand, if you and I want to do something differently. Now, may I just apply this truth, too, that a lot of pastors I've talked to were just stunned when I said it to them. And I've shared it with you many times before. Uh, the difference between being married like Israel is married to God the Father and God is duty-bound to them in a covenant. You and I are only engaged to Jesus Christ. And Paul said that if during the time, or Jesus said if during the time of engagement one or the other commits fornication, that's grounds for divorce. An engaged person could get a divorce back in Jesus' day and even today. During the time of engagement, you can get a divorce if one or the other has committed fornication, Jesus said. But any other time, it becomes adultery. Now, I don't know what that does to your theology, but uh, it's, uh, it's consistent with biblical scripture, biblical principles. Now, during this time that we're here, we'll be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then the time of the marriage. When is the time of the marriage going to take place? We've talked about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at Revelation 19.1. Revelation 19.1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. After these things. What things is he talking about here? In chapters 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation, we have the, the uh, story of the fall of Babylon and the destruction of the harlot church and uh, her system. The, uh, the, that, and by the way, that's being seen from heaven. We're looking down and watching this have, happen from heaven. Babylon destroyed and the, and the great... Uh, uh, harlot church and this takes place this is going to take place on earth between what we call the translation of the rapture and the revelation of Jesus Christ and you know I feel frustration when I say these things to you because I know a lot of these terms are not familiar to you the, the, the translation or the catching away of the bride is when the church is taken to heaven the revelation of Jesus Christ is when he comes back with his saints to the earth now, what the time limit, the time span there is seven years. He will come for his church, seven years later come back with his bride, the church, and it's during that seven-year period on earth that the tribulation period is going to take place. And that's why it says the, in Revelation 19, 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's in the aorist tense now, that is come, and it signifies a completed act, already consummated. So we're in heaven already, we're watching down from heaven to see the harlot church and, the, and uh, Babylon destroyed, and uh, uh, this has been, uh, the marriage has now taken place. And it has to follow the bema, it has to follow the judgment seat of Christ. We have to be judged before we're presented before the Father as the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19.8, the bride is dressed in fine linen. It says, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now, that means that they have received the reward. You see, there's, there's, there, the mode of dress they had back in those days was, first of all, what was called the tunic. The tunic was undergarment. It's like we'd wear underwear. The tunic. And the tunic that we have in heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The outer garment called the toga is the righteousness of the saints. And the splendor of that is going to be determined by what we do while we're here in the body for Jesus Christ. 
We will be clothed in our own righteousness at that time. The fine linen is of the righteousness of what? Righteousness of the saints, 19.8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. I wonder how we're going to be dressed in that day. Some of us may not have very extensive garments on if we're not faithful to the Lord here to be clothed in our own righteousness. I'm going to stop right now because tonight I'll continue on the to try to finish this up concerning what's going to take place during the tribulation period and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm looking forward to, and I have hopes of getting to it tonight, but I won't getting to it about our permanent dwelling place. Lord willing. I'll be getting into the subject of heaven again, talking about what God's Word has to say about heaven. Uh, I don't know about you, but I believe it's not far off. And that's why I have to keep reminding you that it doesn't make any difference what we're doing here on earth. If we're not doing anything for the Lord, we're not doing anything worthwhile at all. Nothing else will count in that day. It doesn't make any difference how prosperous we are. It doesn't make any difference how educated we are. It doesn't make any difference how popular we are. Everything we do, say, or think is going to be judged in that day. Now, I want to tell you something. I had, a, a, to me, it's a very jarring experience. Pat and I had an opportunity to go out yesterday, and we went down to, as we saw, an estate sale. And we walked into that estate sale, and I looked, and here were the treasures of some elderly couple. Everything that they had hoarded and gathered and piled up and stacked and up throughout their whole life. No, I just did mine, mine, mine. And you know something? They left it all. And I thought, I wonder if they took anything with them. I wonder if they went empty-handed or if they took anything with them. And I tried to look through all their books and all. I couldn't see much that had to relate to Jesus Christ at all. And I thought, what a tragic waste to have gone through life and have missed the purpose of life to serve Jesus Christ and Him alone. I'm excited when I realize that God in His grace and mercy not only says, I, you, you, you should serve me because of all that I've done for you, you should serve me just because I'm God, but then goes beyond that and says, when you're faithful to me, I will bless you and I will reward you. The question is, are there any takers? Jesus said, when I come again, will I find any faith on the earth? That's scary. Will I find any faith again? You know, we must have a little ways to go yet because I know there's Christians on the earth that have faith. There are a lot of people in this nation yet that have faith. But when he comes back again, he says, will there be any faith when I return? And the question is, will you and I say, Lord, if no one else, by your grace alone, I want to walk by faith, not by sight. Are you anxious for that reward? Are you looking forward to the marriage? Some people may be looking at it exactly as one woman did who put on her husband's tombstone, may he rest in peace till we meet again. That'll take you a minute. You know, some people think, man, I don't know that I want to get before that judgment seat of Christ. Then get things ready. Get prepared. So you can stand there and say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm ready at any moment. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your mercy and grace to offer to us who aren't even worthy of your attention.
not only to become your bride, Lord Jesus, not just to become your bride, but to be able to receive rewards. We thank you for that. We thank you for your mercy and goodness. And I pray that none here this morning will miss the mercy and grace that you provide in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that just like there's a judgment seat of Christ for everyone who's a believer, there's also the great white throne judgment for everyone who's not a believer. That either Christ will become Lord here, our Savior and Redeemer here, our Lamb that was slain, or he'll become our judge in the days ahead, and we determine which it'll be. We choose the path we take. I pray this morning that we'll reason together and realize that there's nothing we can do to fight you. And there's no reason to fight you because you loved us so much you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And you said, he that has the Son of God has life, and he that does not have the Son of God does not have life. Father, if I pray that if there are any right now that are facing the great white throne judgment, that they'll change directions this morning and make Jesus Lord of their life so that they can begin to live for you and serve you and begin to anticipate rewards when we stand before you for obedience and fellowship and service. Minister to these hearts this morning. I pray no one will go away but what the Spirit of God will have witness to his heart the fact that there's a day coming when the church is going to be caught away and we don't want to wait until it's too late. You said the night cometh when no man can work. I pray, Father, that while it's still day, we'll still make the right choice. With your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, may I just ask you if the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and you'd have to say, Pastor, I don't think that I'm going to be before the judgment seat of Christ right now. I I may have to stand before the great white throne judgment unless I repent of my sins and ask Jesus to come into my heart. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. Pray for me this morning. Would you slip up your hands if you're here this morning and have never accepted Christ and would like to? If you'd like to be a born-again Christian, if Jesus comes, you know you're going to be with him. Anyone? Any here this morning say, Pastor... I realize that I haven't looked forward with anticipation to the coming of the Lord. I've almost been afraid of it. But this morning, I want to, by the grace of God, know that I'm going to have some crowns in the days ahead. I want to serve the Lord and be faithful to Him. I want to be obedient to Him. Pray for me that God will help me to be that servant He wants me to be in the days ahead. Anyone else? Yes. I want to be consistent. Yes. God bless you. I see those things. Yes. Praise God. Others? I want to be that consistent, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the price, whatever it may do to me, my family, my friends, everything different, I want to walk with the Lord. Anyone else this morning by the upper hand say pray with me? Anywhere? Yes. Yes, I see that hand. Father, thank you for these hands. Thank you for your, your faithfulness. Thank you for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. I ask that for those that raise their hand right now, there'll be another again. Lord, we can't do it enough time. Just driving another stake and saying, by the grace of God, I will be what God wants me to be. I submit myself, body, soul, mind, and spirit, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I submit myself to the authority of God's Word. Father, I pray this morning that as they do this, that they'll, they'll open their hearts and listen to what the Spirit of God would say to them and where you'd have them to work and how you'd have them to witness and how you'd have them to serve you. Father, I just pray that you will equip them also this morning. Give them a new, fresh boldness to serve Jesus Christ. Father, we long for these 
rewards because if we receive these rewards, it means that we've endured to the end. And we want to endure to the end. I pray none here will fail. None will fall. I pray if there be any young people here this morning who are thinking, well, I'll put up with this for a little bit longer, they'll realize the foolishness of failing to sell out totally to Jesus Christ. There is no other life. What can we give in exchange for our soul, Father? I pray that there be rebellion in the heart, they'll renounce it in Jesus' name. There be indifference that they'll renounce it in Jesus' name. They'll commit themselves totally to you. Lord, I just pray that you'll confirm these commitments this morning, for they'll never be the same in Jesus' precious name. All of God's people say, Amen. This morning, this morning I talked about, uh, the first point was that the engagement to Jesus Christ is complete when you and I become saved. When Jesus Christ woos us to himself by the Holy Spirit and we repent of our sins and trust Jesus Christ, we become engaged to Jesus Christ. We are engaged, betrothed to him. We, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride-to-be. The second thing we talked about, the time of the marriage. The time of the marriage is going to be right after the bema, right after the judgment seat of Christ, right after we receive the clothing of our own righteousness. The third thing we talked about is the, that we're going to talk about tonight is the place of the marriage. The scripture says it's going to be in heaven. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. <clears throat> Matthew 26. Beginning of verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. And this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you. Where? In my Father's kingdom. In heaven. Revelation 19.14. Revelation 19.14. Starting with verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And the armies which were in where? In heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're in heaven with the Lord. I heard an interesting thing this past week on, uh, on one of the radio programs concerning the, the uh, garments of those who served in the tabernacle and in the temple in the Old Testament. The scripture says that it was a very, very fine linen. You see, the, the fabrics they made back in those days were normally very rough. I mean, it would chafe you. But the linen garments that they made for the priests and the high priests in the Old Testament were a very, very soft texture. In fact, whenever they got through with their, their, uh, their vestures uh, were uh, worn out or they, couldn't, they thought that they were too old to wear anymore, they would not cast them away. 
Instead, they would take them and cut them into little tiny strips because they were so soft and they would twist them and make them into wicks for the oil lamps. But beyond that, they would also take them and cut them up and make them available to people. Uh, how many of you know what uh, happened in the manger with Jesus? He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, clothes that were, came from a priest or a high priest. The old garments of the priest, because they were so soft, they could wrap them around the baby and it would not chafe the baby. I thought that was so interesting to find out that, that when God clothed those that were in his service, he clothed them with very fine garments. Garments that were to be desired even after they were worn out. People wanted to use them even after they were worn out. If that's true, what are our garments going to be like in heaven? It says fine linen garments. Then in Jude, the 14th, chapter, uh, 14th verse, Jude chapter 14. See, the marriage is going to take place in heaven because that's where we're going to be coming back from. Jude 14. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. The Living Bible says with millions, millions of his saints. He's going to be, we're going to be in heaven for the marriage of the Lamb. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13. 1 Thessalonians 3.13. Verse 11, Now God himself and our Father and, the, uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He's going to be coming back with his saints. And the reason we're going to, it's going to take place in heaven is because most people like to get married at home. How many of you know it's not much fun to go away and get married? Much more fun to be at home where all your friends are. And the Word of God says that we're a heavenly people. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers. Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter. Verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also so we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We're looking forward to that time when Jesus comes and calls us to himself, and the marriage is going to take place in the heavenlies. We're going to be married to him. And then the fourth thing, and the final thing, is the participants in the wedding. Revelation 19 again. The participants in the wedding. Revelation 19. Verse 7. Let us, let us go back to verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. There in verse 7, 
where it says is come that uh, that's in the aorist tense and it signifies it's a completed act it's an act that's already consummated when we're in heaven we'll already be married at the marriage supper of the Lamb before we come back with Jesus Christ to the earth now that's only written to uh, written concerning the believers in Christ now in the meantime while we're here on earth we're engaged to Jesus Christ and it is the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare us to meet the bridegroom. Now, you remember the, the, the illustration concerning the, the uh, ten virgins, the five foolish and the five wise virgins? Uh, what were they? They were supposed to be there to be serving and helping the bride get prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians, the fifth chapter again. We, we read that this morning. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Beginning with 20, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The work of the Holy Spirit is to cause you and me to get ourselves prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're to be realized that his work in our hearts is for us to be given the place where we're without spot and without wrinkle. So when he comes, we won't be ashamed. The work of the Holy Spirit is to cause us to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ to where we will be of one heart and one mind with him and the purpose and goal that he has set for us. And the question that I have tonight is, what are we doing with God, with Christ's uh, servant, do we really long for His appearance again? Do we long to see Jesus Christ coming again? Are we really laboring to see if we're going to what crowns we're going to be able to receive from Him in that day? He says, "There's crowns available, but you must be willing to pay the price. You must be willing to die to yourself." You must be willing to sell out completely to Jesus Christ where no one else can take his place in your life. It may mean, and Jesus said, when I come, I'm not coming. I'm coming with a sword. I'm going to divide families. I'm going to separate families. I'm going to, I'm going to really mess things up. I'm going to tear things apart because people are going to have to come to the place they are going to say, Jesus Christ is first in my life. And can we do that? Are we willing to do that? You know, when we ask these questions... And then come back with, and I, like I said, God is so, it's, it's so interesting to read God's Word and see how He works with mankind. He always says, I love you very, very much. I want everything to be the very best for you. If you'll just look at the Garden of Eden, you'll see my intentions toward you. No sin, no sickness, no curse, no needs. No That's, that was the way I wanted it to be for you. Now, with that understanding, let me tell you that anything I tell you, I'm telling it for your good because I love you so much. Now, stay away from the evil. Stay away from the wickedness. Stay away from the hard things. Stay away from all these things because they'll harm you. They'll not be good for you. And then some come back and say, I can do whatever I want to. God says, yes, that's right, you can. But just let me explain something to you. If you'll do these things that I ask you to do, you'll have joy and peace and happiness and fruitfulness and eternal blessings. I'm not going to make you do it, but I just want you to know I love you dearly and that's what I want you to do. If you'll do that, this will be the end result. Then he stops and says, now, let me explain a little bit further. If you don't do it, 
this is the end result over here. This is what will happen to you. This will be the price. This will be the cost. Now, choose whom you'll serve. And he says, now, again, let me explain to you. There are rewards to be made available. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and love the Father. You must love the world and uh, love the Father and hate the world. You, you cannot love both of them at the same time. And if you love the world, then you'll receive the reward of the world. If you love me, you'll receive my reward. But choose whom you'll serve. And then no, I'm not going to be there every day to make you do anything. You're going to have to do it because you love me. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, they won't be grievous to you. They'll be just as normal, as natural. You'll just want to do them. Oh, one other thing. After you've made your choice, your books are going to be audited. How many of you know that we're not very far off again this year before tax time? Everybody says, oh, hallelujah, tax time again. I get to do my taxes again. That's wonderful. What do you feel when you think tax time? Young people, when they go to school, you remember when you were in school, the teacher says, this Friday we're going to have a test. Everybody says, yay, a test, hallelujah, a test. Glory, I've been waiting for this test. I can hardly wait. You know what, how we react to a test. And God says, just to keep you honest, that's all a test is for. How many of you know the reason that teachers love to give tests? How many of you know that? Because that gives them the opportunity every night when they go home to have to sit and grade every one of those stupid papers. They just love to give tests just to be mean. <laughs> no, they're trying to keep you honest. You said you did your work? No problem then. We'll have a test. It won't be a test for you. It'll just be a breeze for you. How many of you know that there's nothing hard if you know how what it is? Some people say, how do you do this and such? Well, I don't know, just do it. Well, I can't do that. Well, have you ever tried? Well, yes, but it's not easy. Well, of course, it wasn't easy for me when I started either. But after I did it 3,000, how many of you remember the first time you tried to drive a car? Why did they have all these pedals and all these sticks and all these switches and everything? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you're just all tense because all these switches. And after a while, you get in and it just, it just happens naturally. I used to watch my half-brother when he'd drive the car with a clutch, and I'd watch how he did that exactly, his foot would go down. How do you do that exactly right? Because when I do it, it's like this, when I take off, you know. And he said, you just have to practice. God says, just so that you'll know, I love you very much, and I want God's very, my very best for you. But you must choose what you'll have. And let me tell you something. That judgment will be absolutely fair. Now, I've been in classes where I thought the teacher pulled a trick test on me, you know, trick questions. And I thought, you know, that's not fair. I'm trying to study, and it's mean enough just to get the facts. Don't twist the question so there's a little, chick, a little catch in there that can throw me off real easily. But you see, the teacher has that right. If you really know the material, you ought to know, uh-uh, I caught that little dog leg you put in there. But nobody likes tests. Why? Because they bring us to the awareness of whether we really did what we said we did or didn't do it. 
God says, now you make your own choice. And some people are going through life saying, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Oh, hallelujah. And you say, well, you won't have to worry about that. Don't have to ask me a question about that. <clears throat> when the final test comes, we'll know. When the books are audited, we'll know. Huh? Yeah, when the books are audited, we'll know. Every idle word, every idle deed, everything that we've done in the flesh that has not been repented of, every one of the things we'll answer for in that day. You say, why would God do that? Because God is holy, God is righteous, God is just. But thank God He is loving also to tell us ahead of time, get prepared. There's a time coming, don't wait for the last minute. How many of you know that we tend to procrastinate? How many of you know the things that we... My wife and I, yesterday morning, we were out doing some things and she said, don't you think we ought to go start doing the barbecue sauce? Yeah, oh, yes, but here's one other thing I want to do. And she said, you know, we really get, ought to get started on the barbecue. Uh, yeah, well, let's, let's go do this over here. You know, And I was procrastinating. I, I, that, that is a job. But we finally ended up doing the barbecue sauce, and it was a long, tedious job. But I was putting it off, procrastinating to the last minute. And you know, that's the tendency that Christians have a lot to, I'll get right with the Lord, I'll do what the Lord wants me to do it's pretty soon. The Lord says, you know, don't even talk like that. You have no right to say that I'll do anything tomorrow. You have to say, the Lord willing, tomorrow I will go do thus and such. Why? Because Jesus said to one other man, thou fool, this night, very night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be? How many of you know there are very few expected funerals in proportion to the ones that are expected? Most people don't die with people expecting them to die. They die accidentally. And that's why the Lord says, you be ready at any time. Because the books are going to be audited. And again, I say, if you're honest, honest before the Lord and doing what the Lord wants you to, you say, here they are, Lord. Check them out. Check them out. But if you come up like a billy goat, but, 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 when you stand before him, it's not going to be the answer. He says, the books are going to be audited. Be ready. First of all, the bema, and then glory to God, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we'll rejoice. It's all finished. It's all over with. We're married to Jesus Christ in that day. You know, I can't even understand that myself. I can't comprehend that myself. We look at everything in the flesh. All we can respond to is that which is in the flesh. And to try to comprehend that our relationship there is going to be so different from the earthly relationship. How do we become Jesus Christ when he was on earth was a man? But he's God. And for us to step out of this flesh and become spirit, and to realize male, female, makes it we will be one spirit with him. No husband, no wife up in heaven, except we're married to Jesus Christ. You know, my mind can't even grasp that, but it, the Spirit of God has witnessed to me that it's real, and it's true, and it's going to happen, and we need to be prepared for it. Are you prepared for the books to be audited? Are you prepared? <laughs>